If I could get you all to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, so you can read along with me. We're going to start on verse 12, Philippians 3, 12. Zach preached from the first part of Philippians 3 a few months ago. It's a section where Paul's talking about all the things that he could have credited to himself as righteousness, but then he says, um, in light of gaining Christ's righteousness and knowing Christ, he counts all those other things, those former gains, as rubbish compared to knowing Christ. So we're going to pick up from there in verse 12. This is the word of God to us. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Would you pray with me? Father, as we approach your word today, you know that I'm inadequate to reach anybody's heart, and all of us are inadequate to, to change our own hearts. We all, myself and everyone listening, we're, we are dependent on you to do the heart change. So I pray that that would be the effect of your word this morning, that you would overcome the obstacles of our stubbornness and our laziness and our weariness, anything that's, that's um, working to prevent us from hearing and being changed by your word, that you would work to eradicate that and allow us to soak in what you want to say to us this morning. Bring the change that you promise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, as we attempt to digest God's word to us today, I believe this part of Paul's letter to the Philippians brings to mind, <clears throat> at least to my mind, two main questions. And they're really simple. One is, what is the prize? And the second one is, how do we get it? Right? Simple questions from a simple man. What is the prize and how do we get it? Now, every time I come across this section of Philippians, there's something in me that stirs. I have a glimpse in my heart that there's something more. There's something that I should be striving for more actively, something that I'm missing out on, right? I know, I just know in my heart 
that I'm not straining forward. I'm not pressing on to own something that Paul is talking about. But what? What is he talking about striving for? What is this goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Because I don't like straining. Uh, Are you like me in that at all? I'm all about strolling. I like a peaceful stride. I like to look at nature around me and enjoy the, the fresh air and unwind, take my time. I have enough stress and strain in my life already, so please don't tell me to strain for something, okay? If I'm going to strain for something, it better be worth it. I'm going to need to be motivated to strain for something. If I have to, if I have to do strain, I need to have a clear vision in my mind's eye. I need to see that prize, and it has to be glorious, satisfying, a worth it kind of a prize, right? If not, here's what happens. When I come to a sentence like this, and Paul's famous for this, where he's run on sentences, and he's saying, press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. All right, just me maybe, but my eyes start glazing over a little bit, okay? My brain starts to check out a little bit, and I can just keep on moving and reading ahead without really digging in and trying to grasp what God is saying to me there. And every time that we do that, our heart gets a little more numb, We don't want to be numb to what God himself is saying to us, what our creator is speaking to us, okay? So can we dig together a little bit this morning? Can we take hold of that faint stirring that maybe is in our hearts already and just ask a few more questions? Search a little bit deeper into the run-on sentence and let's uncover some of the gold that God's laid out for us here, okay? Will you go there with me? Can we do that together? Okay, so the first question that I ask is what is the prize? Okay, so there's one level where we can give the Sunday school answer to that question, almost any question, and we can be right 99% of the time, right? Jesus. Jesus is the prize, right? Yes, yes, he is. He is the prize. But, but if my heart is numb, and it is, that's usually not enough to keep me stirred up. It, is it Jesus the historical hero? Is it Jesus the mysterious God-man who's somehow living in my heart? Is it Jesus who has everything under control and I don't need to really think or worry about anything because he's got it all right. He's going to handle it no matter what I do. Is that the prize? Paul didn't see it that way, did he? Listen, this, this is very dangerous ground that I'm describing here. For me, for you, it's dangerous. Because if we accept the default answer that comes to our cloudy minds in those moments then we're taking one step more toward growing cold again. We're getting numb inside. And I've seen and heard a lot of cases, men and women who are much more mature spiritually than I am, who have shipwrecked completely their lives and the lives of everyone around them because they got so numb that they couldn't hear what their heart was trying to warn them about, trying to steer them off of that path toward the quickstand. I have a funny story for you about um, the age about when Kellen was a talk. Kellen's the one who was playing piano up here. Um, she was just maybe not even walking yet. I mean, can you picture her that young? She was so cute. She hates me right now. So around that time, it was a nice spring or summer day. I and my family are all walking on a wooded bike path in Ashburn. And we were probably about a half hour into it at this point. I'm, I'm just trying to remember. And remember how I said I like to, to leisurely stroll? 
Well, that's what we were doing. That's exactly what was going on that day. It was my pace. We were in a safe, suburban, neighborhood path. Wonderful, relaxing time. Michelle's pushing Kellen um, in the stroller, and, and I'm a little bit behind, maybe a lot behind. I'm trying to corral the older three out of the creek and out of the woods, you know, back onto the path, and just trying to let them have fun, but also keep moving. She's way ahead. She's a turn to bend where I can't see her anymore. And suddenly, uh, and this is Michelle's perspective now, okay, because I can't see her. She says she's walking along, and out of the brush, a policeman jumps onto the path, and he's out of breath, and he's looking backward and forward. He sees Michelle, and he says, run, I'm chasing a guy with a knife. And, <laughs> and suddenly, um, Michelle, this is a classic story, okay, of the difference between her personality and mine. Michelle whips that stroller around. She says she's, she's got it on two wheels, and she's like, you know, stri- strolling right back toward me, spinning and racing back, trying to catch up to me and the other kids. She looks at me and says, run. And so, and I'm never, ever going to live this down, okay? With, with my personality being one of calm, unrattled, cool logic, I want to know what's going on. Okay, of course. One doesn't just run without knowing all the facts, right? So, who said it? Where was he coming from? You know, where did, he, where did he see the guy with the knife? Had the guy actually killed someone, or was he just whittling wood with the knife? What if he's in the direction that we're heading as we go back to the house? I mean, there's so many questions in my mind. So, after pausing long enough for Michelle to give up on me and leave me in the dust, I yell out to the kids, hey kids, come on. We need to leave, and I gather them, you know, kind of, kind of hurriedly out of the woods, and, and we kind of maybe speed walk back toward the house. And of course, meanwhile, Michelle's already there with chairs up against the door and blocking everything, and she's safe. But I, I mean, I told you, I don't like to strain for anything, okay? But that's kind of what I mean by the warning that your heart's trying to give you when you're on a dangerous path and you're checked out mentally as you're reading God's Word. The path seems like it's nice, peaceful, safe. I mean, I'm reading the Bible, right? But your heart is trying to stir you. The Spirit's trying to stir you through your heart to warn you about the danger that you're wandering right into. And you're just like, no, that's not a big deal. But in this case, it is a big deal. It's a huge deal. Because we're talking about the prize that God is offering to us. We're talking about missing out on the growth and maturity that we are going to need when those painful trials come. And they will come. When that happens, are we going to persevere through those trials with God's truth shaping our perspective? Or are we going to sink and sink into the quicksand of despair and depression because our heart is numb? We haven't practiced. We haven't built up the endurance and the running pace that's needed for that trial. We haven't been straining forward or pressing on. And so now when we need it the most, our heart is too numb to react. That could mean the difference between those who slowly, surely, quietly press through the strain and through the mire and back to solid ground. You may know some examples in your history of Christians who have walked through those trials in such a way. It could be the difference between doing it that way and those who sink in despair and end up making stupid decisions that shipwreck everything around them. So let's not settle for the Sunday school answer, okay? Let's just ask the question again. What is the prize? Well, the prize, Paul says, starts with, it's the upward call. So what is, what is that? What's the upward call? 
Well, Paul, the word that he uses here is the same word that he uses in his writings to refer to the call that God places on us to save us. So it's the call to salvation, the call to repent and believe. Repent, I'm going to get to that a little bit later, and believe that Christ Jesus has paid for my sins and credited his righteousness to my bank account. The upward call, as one commentator I read puts it, it might be Paul using the race analogy that he uses in 2 Timothy when he says he's finished the race. Maybe he's picturing a chariot race here where there's a winner at the end and the winner is called to the podium and he steps up to the podium and he receives the prize, maybe the laurel or a medal around his neck, right? The prize. We've been given a call to run the race and then step up to that podium for the prize. That's our goal, right? I press on toward the goal. The goal is how I view it when I'm in the race. So there's two different perspectives. I'm running the race and I have the goal. And then the upward call of the podium is how I view it when I'm done with the race and I'm receiving the prize. So I press on toward the goal for that upward call, the call of God in Christ Jesus. But am I there yet? Listen, this... This is critical. Am I there yet? Am I at the podium? Am I receiving the prize? Or is it still, am I still in the goal stage? If I already have the prize, then I'm not needing to press on or strain forward, right? So no, I'm not there yet. Paul wasn't there yet. He was pressing on. And I guarantee you, if Paul was pressing on, we need to be pressing on. So the Sunday school answer to our first question, what is the prize, isn't quite adequate. I have Jesus, yes. That's the historical thing that's happened to me at some point in the past. Or better, better said, he has me. He's got me. I've been bought. I'm adopted. I'm already a recipient of his prize. But I'm also not there yet. It's a phrase that Jeremy uses a lot in his preaching, the already but the not yet, because it's such a good description of where we are in God's storyline. The prize is multi-part. It comes in stages. So we already have the prize of salvation, but we don't yet have the podium prize, do we? It's still a goal that we're racing to obtain. Last week we sang the song, In Christ Alone. And as we were singing, we got to that one verse where it made me start thinking about what I was going to preach on this week. And it says, What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when strivings cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the power or in the love of Christ I stand. So he says, When strivings cease. What does that mean in light of Paul saying that we're supposed to strain forward ahead for this prize? Is that song contradicting Paul here? No, so don't, but don't forget, we're looking at two different pieces, two different aspects of our salvation here. The already part, that our peace with God has been secured, our strivings to gain God's pleasure, that kind of striving can cease. He's already pleased with us. We don't have to try earning it. Romans 5.1 says it this way, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So our strivings cease in that impossible goal for us to achieve on our own. So rest, brother. 
Rest, sister. Just rest. We have peace with God when we used to be his enemy. We have his pleasure. We're pleasing in his sight through the work done by our Lord Jesus Christ. So do this with me. Just kind of close your eyes for a quick second. Take a deep breath and picture resting. We're resting in the salvation, the good relationship that we have with God that can never cease, okay? Now then, there's the other part of our salvation. There's the not yet part. And here it's not a striving in the sense of an anxious trying to please him. But from that place of rest that I was describing, of peace, that place of knowing that I'm loved by him and and he's pleased with me, from that place of receiving an absolutely undeserving and amazing gift of grace, now I just want to respond to that. I want to respond to that love by tasting more of what God has for me. I want, as one translation puts it here, I want to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. So I'm going to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. I've got the security. I've got the justification. Now I want to experience it. I want to taste it. I want to see it make a difference in my life. I want to feel the joy of the God who has loved me so much. I want to strain forward to take hold of that prize. I press on to make that my own. See the difference? See the two sides of our salvation experience? I'm resting, I'm at peace, and I'm straining forward to experience as much of it as I possibly can now. My motivation isn't anxiety or fear. It's astounded, excited love. My heart is not dead like it used to be. It hears God. At least it does stir, right? When I'm reading God's word, If I didn't already have the prize, Jesus, my heart wouldn't even be stirring when I read these things. So if I'm reconciled to God and my sins have been paid for and I'm his, my heart is going to stir when I read his words like this. But the old man that's in me, the nature that I inherited from Adam generations ago, that old man is still struggling to claw out of the grave. And he's selfish He's ambitious, greedy, lustful, arrogant, so arrogant, thinks the world revolves around him. That old man is still struggling to claw out of the grave. That's still in me, and that's why I check out when I get to the run-on sentence and my lazy old man in me says, ain't nobody got time to dig into that. You're fine. Just keep on reading and get off to work. So, We have the prize in one sense, but in another sense, in a fully realized sense, at that podium, we're not there yet. One day, one day we're not going to have any hardness of heart. God describes this for us in many places in the Bible. One day we're going to fully have the prize, we're going to step up to the final podium, and we're going to be transformed to be like our Lord and Savior. No old man distracting us, no sin nature left in us. No cultural influences that are anti-God. Everything, not just us, but everything in creation is going to be made new. That's the prize. That's what I'm pressing forward to gain. That's the goal of the upward call that God has placed on my life. That's what he apprehended me for way back then. It's what he's made me for. What he's bought me for. 
It's my inheritance. It's yours. It's being with Christ Jesus, fully and wholly his. So the Sunday school answer, Jesus, but now with a little bit more mature vision. Once we saw it dimly, then we're going to see face to face. Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. So this is part of growing up in the faith. If I continue to let my old man convince me that I'm okay and I don't have to press on, I don't have to strive forward, then I'm, by definition here, immature. I'm not thinking accurately. So let's think like mature Christians together for a few moments, shall we? Even if we're not really mature, we can practice, right? We can pretend and we can move toward maturity together. So let's practice. Now that we know what the upward call means, what does the prize look like? What do we actually take hold of when we're going to step up onto that podium? Some of the answers are right here in Philippians. In order to see what this prize looks like that we're striving for, look back a few verses before this section. Zach preached on those verses a few months ago. And Paul's saying in our section, he's saying, not that I've already attained this, so let's look at some of the things that Paul says he has not yet attained. Go back to verse 7. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So knowing Christ is a mark of maturity. It's, it's part of the prize. And he continues, For his sake, for Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So gaining Christ, being mature, means I consider the gain of Christ so valuable that everything else I count as rubbish. Verse 9, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, there's that again, the knowing him, and know the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Okay, so several pieces here of what it looks like. This is, this is the prize, okay? It's to, to gain Christ, to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection, to become like him in his death, to share in his sufferings. So some of those things sound a little more pleasant than others, right? The death and the suffering, maybe I could do without, but they're all part of the prize. So we're going to look at each of them here. Do we think we know Christ? We know about him, right? We know facts about him. We can recite his story. But how often do we study him? How often do we try to, to learn more about him, like the way that we might try to learn about someone that we are uh, wanting to marry, for instance? Or instead, how often do we fall on the excuse of just being too busy? Or we don't even try to carve out time to get to know him better. But if Christ is my prize, if I see it clearly that way, if I have that clear vision in my head, I'm going to make time for it, right? I'm going to pursue getting to know him better. So we have room to grow here, don't we? What about the more specific knowledge that Paul mentions to know the power of his resurrection? So in the same way that Christ was crucified and then raised to life in a new body, we will be one day too. That's part of the not yet. But there's also 
The already aspect that the New Testament talks often about. Our old man, that pest who's trying to keep my new heart from getting stirred up to God, that old man has been put to death. And my spirit, my heart, has already been raised to a new life. I desire to know God. I was dead to him, and now I'm alive to him. I've already experienced in that aspect the power of his resurrection. All of us have been raised to a new life. That's what Paul's talking about. But I can still experience more. Paul wants to experience more. We want to see that old man stomped stomped out every time he tries to utter a protest. And we want the Spirit of God to overpower that nature in us that's greedy and arrogant and lustful and lazy. And we want the power of his resurrection to win in those situations more and more, growing more in strength, more mature, crushing the old nature. We can't do that by ourselves. That's why we need the power of his resurrection to continue putting our old man to death and living in the resurrection to our new life. We're born again, right? So this is a prayer as as we get ready to read each time, each morning. God, display the power of your resurrection by letting me hear and follow that stirring of my heart to dig deeper, to know you. Ask him for help to grow. Paul then says he's striving to become like him, like Jesus, in his death. That means we're being conformed into the image of our rescuer, Jesus Christ, our Lord. When Paul says that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead, he's not meaning, gee, I really hope that somehow, by some impossible means, I will maybe get to rise again from the dead. Okay, that's not what he's saying. No, what he means is, I have been, I want to experience it now. I want that lazy, rotting old corpus of a man in me to stay in the grave, and I want to live like a raised man. So this is what it looks like when you put some of these pieces together. This is the prize, okay? To know Christ, to gain him, to be found in him, to become like him in his death, to know the power of his resurrection, and to share in his sufferings. We didn't talk about that one yet. That doesn't seem like much of a prize, Paul. What do you mean, share in his sufferings? Look, you won't have to grow searching for ways to suffer if you're really on the path to maturity, okay? If you're striving to know God. Our culture is increasingly hostile to God's perspectives. And the more we're conforming into the image of Christ, like he says he's doing for us, the more our thoughts and perspectives are shaped to be like God's, then the more the culture is going to be hostile to us. We're already seeing the culture grow hostile toward true Christianity. It's not enough anymore to live and let live. It's not enough that I can have my way of thinking and you have yours, right? Now the culture says, you have to think like I think or you're a bigot. You're a hater. Backwards. Phobic. And we're going to see more and more what it means to suffer and to share in Christ's sufferings. And I can say, and I'm pointing the finger at myself here too, that if we're not experiencing some of that already, some of those accusations, then it's probably we're being too quiet. That's a piece of it. So there's also, though, the suffering that simply comes from being fallen people in a fallen world. So there's that one aspect of, that's not even related to what we're doing or saying. It's just the fact that we're in this fallen world. It doesn't matter how old you are. Teenagers, newlyweds, middle-agers, grandparents... All of us experience some kind of suffering 
because we're broken people surrounded by other broken people in a broken world. Christ also experienced this. But the Bible teaches us that we have to view suffering as both a bad thing that, yes, God hates, and a good thing because God uses it, he uses suffering as grieving as it is to accomplish good in us that can't be accomplished in any other way. A cross, of course, is the primary example of this, and, and Jeremy covered that extensively last week. The, the worst thing that could have happened in history was also the greatest thing in history. But there's even lesser sufferings, like being betrayed by your friends. Teenagers experience that. Adults have experienced that. Dreams that get crushed. The pains of old age. Even sickness and death that we can kind of get used to here in this fallen world. They're not good in and of themselves. God calls them bad too, but he still uses them to shape us. To draw us to himself to refocus our attention and many other good things that he does with it. That's why James tells us to count it all joy when we suffer because it produces endurance, character, and hope. And why Peter tells, says that the, the trials that test our faith in ways that are more precious than gold. So to, to share in Christ's sufferings, it's not easy, it's not pleasant, but we're called to see it as part of that prize because it's producing something in us that's good for us. It's part of God's plan. Okay, so we've covered the aspects, um, at least here in Philippians, of what Paul says the prize is. It's to know Christ, it's to gain him, to become like him in his death, to know the power of his resurrection, and to share in his sufferings. Now, we spent most of our time in the sermon talking about question number one, what is the prize? Because that's the key, at least for me, to being motivated. I need to see how valuable that prize is, how awesome it would be to experience that prize now, and then I'll be motivated to go after it. But then the second question, which will take much less time, is how do I get it? How do I get that prize? And it's actually pretty easy. It's already laid out here for us. But now it doesn't seem so daunting. Once my vision is sharper... I already have Christ, now I know what I need to do to experience that prize more. So while we wait for the transformation of our lowly body to be like his glorious body, how do we taste the prize here and now? Verse 12 and 13, we press on. We strain forward to what lies ahead. Verse 13, we forget what lies behind. Verse 16, we hold true to what we have attained. Uh, verse 1 in chapter 4, stand firm. It's, it's a pretty simple formula, actually. We rest in the security of knowing that we're his and he loves us, and then press on. Forget what lies behind, hold true, stand firm. I'm pretty sure most of you have heard um, the analogy of the raft uh, on a river, and if, we're going to be there in a couple weeks, and you'll, you'll know we're, we're rafting, we're drifting. If you don't paddle, you're going to drift toward our picnic area in two weeks. But most, mostly, when you're talking about spiritual drifting, it's usually that we're drifting backwards toward our old man, toward the grave. If we want to be moving forward, we can't just let go of the paddles. We have to keep pressing forward, have to be pushing forward. So if I want to hold true to what I've attained, if I want to stand firm, I can't just relax my hold. 
because relaxing loosens my grip on what I've already attained, the maturity that I've already attained. That's why Paul talks about running this race in, in worms that are pressing on and straining forward. Okay, forgetting what lies behind, that simply means I'm not going to rest on my past accomplishments. I'm not going to assume that I've already reached my peak spiritually. And this is my biggest trap, okay, right now. I can warn those of you who are younger than me, this is one of those pieces of what they call the midlife crisis kind of thing. I can feel like my best days are already behind me, that I've already been at the height of my spiritual growth, and I don't even expect to get any higher, to be more mature. In fact, I don't even think that I can go back to that peak of spiritual maturity that I had at one time. And that's a dangerous mindset. And I'm being attacked by it almost relentlessly these last few years. Paul is saying, forget what lies behind. Forget your past peaks. Those were blessings, yes. They were grace for that time, but it was for that time. Now, in this season, there's new grace. So forget the old, press on, strive to hold true to what you've learned, and strive to learn more. You're not done yet. We're never done. In fact, not even in heaven are we done. We're never done learning about the unsearchable depths and the riches of God's character, his grace, his ways, wisdom, love, power. We're never done learning about this God who loves us so much. So press on to make it your own because Christ Jesus has made you his own. And here's a piece that maybe you were hoping I wouldn't come back to, repentance. Striving forward and forgetting what lies behind also means I'm putting behind me the former sins. That old man in me that who's trying to distract me, he's not just annoying, okay? He's sinful. Laziness, lust, gluttony, greed, self-ambition, pride, all of those things are still in me and all of those are labeled by God as sin, not just annoyances. And people who live in those things, live that way all the time, they're not just immature, they're enemies of God. And we were too. Look how Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he goes on to describe all manner of what unrighteousness looks like. And in verse 11 he says, and, some, and such were some of you. But you were washed you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And then back here in Philippians, verse 18, chapter 3, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Just means whatever pleases them in the moment. And they glory in their shame. And we see that all the time, right? Things that used to be called shameful are now boasted about freely. With minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So I can't just say, I'll try to be better. No, I need to repent of those sins and press on toward what lies ahead. 
I need to live like a citizen of heaven. That's present tense. He says our citizenship is in heaven, not will be. And I strive for that. Not because I have to make God happy, because he's already made me his own, right? I like how Matt Chandler describes repentance. He says we are continually repenting people. Continually repenting. And that doesn't bother God. I am not, Matt says, I am not what I will be. I'm not what I would like to be yet. And I'm not where I'm going to be. And yet, even in the middle of all that mess, he's saying, his love for me, his dedication to me, God's commitment to me is unwavering. Listen again. God already loves you, Christian. He expects that you're going to need to be continually repenting because you're, not, you're in the not yet season yet. Hey, he knows he knows this. Don't try to pretend that you're beyond it. Paul wasn't beyond it, right? He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. You're not repenting in order to gain his affection. He's already adopted you. He loves you. Nothing will change that. The reason you repent, what you're striving for and pressing on for is the prize of knowing him, becoming like him, experiencing the power of his resurrection now, not waiting until you die, not shipwrecking all the grace that he's lavished on you here in this life. So don't be like me and half-heartedly speed walk toward the goal. Be like Michelle, whip that stroller around and leave the sin behind you and run toward your home. Everything else is rubbish. Everything else is a danger that's trying to keep you from experiencing the prize. So run. And while you run, thank God for the grace to run because that's from him too. He loves you, Christian. He died for you. He wants you to know him and the power of his resurrection in this life. There is more grace from him for you. So press on, brothers and sisters. Press on and encourage me Encourage each other to press on. There is more for us while we run this race. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the grace to run, to press forward, to overcome the laziness. Thank you for taking us to that place where we can rest in the assurance of knowing you love us and not have to worry about that part anymore. And give us a clear vision of what you want us to taste and experience while we're here walking with you as we head toward that podium. Keep us from shipwrecking. Keep us from growing so numb that we can make stupid choices. Keep us humble and repenting, balancing the rest of knowing you and knowing that we're safe and forever yours with the striving to know you more and experience more of your resurrection power. We know that you will do this. You've promised to give it to us when we ask. That's grace. And we want to apprehend that grace. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you for digging with me this morning to answer the question that came to my mind as I contemplated this passage from God's word. I hope we all have now more a clear vision of what that prize looks like and what it's going to be like when we step up to that podium to fully receive the prize from God. 
and we also know that while the prize is already ours, we can really enjoy experiencing a lot more of it as we run this race together. I asked Derek to bring back from last week in Christ alone and to close the service with that because as we sing these words together, I hope they take on fresh meaning for you today. When strivings cease, we're resting, resting in what has already happened to us. My all in all, it's talking about the prize, Christ Jesus. We sing about up from the grave he rose and sin's curse has lost its grip on me. That's the power of the resurrection working in us. No guilt in life. Our guilt has been paid for. No fear in death. I don't have to be scared to face the judge. He's my prize. Till he returns or calls me home. That's the podium, church. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. Stand firm in the faith. Press on. This is the power of Christ in us. So let's stand and sing this together.